This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Paul Curtis, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. How you doing, Matt? Good. Don't don't judge me. Uh, I can. I look, man. That's one of the things about being on Zoom. You you're always looking at yourself, you know. And I look like a total freaking tool right now. I've got I've got uh, my winter hat on and a really thick hoodie and then a robe. Because I have to turn, I have to turn the furnace off, to or I, it get I get you can hear it in the background, you know. Uh, I have to turn my furnace off and unplug my fridge. Let, a few days ago, I recorded a podcast, and then I forgot to turn the furnace off, and then went went to bed right afterwards. And I turned it off, forgot to turn it back on, and went to bed right after the podcast, and holy shit was it cold the next morning in my house i live in a modular home you know so it's only got it's only got four inches of insulation or something like that and right now it is snowing like a biatch out there uh and it's like it's sub sub zero degrees fahrenheit yeah, you um, look like it's cold in there. I uh, it's warm right now. Yeah, because I just turned it off, but I'm preparing for the future. Well, it's funny. I got my uh, I got my space heater going right now because I'm otherwise I'd be freezing my ass off down in the basement here. It gets gets pretty chilly. So you're a family man, is that right? That's right. That's right. I have a a 16 month old son and a wife. So life's pretty crazy. Um, mm. Life's a little wild and hectic, but how old your son? Sixteen months. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I just spaced out for a second. I'm always a little nervous at the beginning of these podcasts. So I, and when I find I find I can't I can't concentrate well when I'm nervous, and like I thought maybe you said sixteen years. That's an easy. I can see where you would have uh, maybe maybe missed that. But to look at you, that would mean you had had him when you were like eight. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a young whippersnapper for sure. Um, um, well, now we started down that road of describing your family situation. Why don't you just more broadly tell me about yourself? Uh, I'm curious about your. We, we've had we've had some email exchanges which i've really enjoyed you know a lot a lot a large share of my guests that i have on here are people that reach out to me and people that really sweat over what they're saying to me like that they really craft a high quality email and you can tell i think writing is thinking you know I think it's a high, it's the highest form of thinking is writing. I mean, you got to get your, to, to write while well, you really got to get your thoughts in order. So when I get emails like the ones I've gotten for you, from you, where it's, it's obviously obvious that you're sweating over them intellectually. Um, 
those are the people that I tend to invite on. Um, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the emails I get are, are quite short. It's crazy. I've been getting three or four a week now <laughs> and they're all supportive. Oh, 99% supportive. You know, sure- Matt, like something I got to say is like, it's, it's been really fun following your podcast because you've, you're, you know, usually with podcasts, I jump in at like episode 100 when they're established and it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a household name, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, with you, I jumped in at episode, actually I jumped in, you did a podcast with a, uh, I forget his name, a bird hunter, a duck uh, hunter, uh, potentially young guy. I think he's an older guy. I don't mean to judge his age without knowing him, but, oh, but I mean, yeah, I'm I mean, a- your, your article really got my attention as well. And so I, it's been fun just seeing you develop as a podcaster because think I've, I've gotten better. Oh, it's way better. Yeah, it's way better. Um, oh man, yeah, that's great. That's, that's encouraging to hear. Um, it, it, it's not an easy craft. I know that, that, uh, podcasting is a tough thing to do and it's a tough thing to learn how to interview people and how to talk about interesting things and all that. But it's been fun, like watching you develop as a, as a podcaster throughout all these episodes. Well, thanks. That's very encouraging. Uh, I, I uh, don't often, I'm not presented at this later stage in life with a lot of opportunities to, for improving myself in any, in, you know, uh, stretching my wings. So I guess that's a fringe benefit of doing this is, is um, trying to figure out something new, how to do something new in a reasonably effective way. So thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's how we grow. You know, and um, it's kind of what I want to talk about today's like, you know, getting uncomfortable and I think, you know, I think part of our issue and, and I can, you know, if you like, I can talk about my background a little bit. I don't know if that'd be helpful or not, but yeah, I'm curious because we, 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 you didn't, I know you're, I know you're now living in Laurel, Montana. That's right. Yeah. And, but I don't know much about your history beyond that. That's we we've talked a lot about hunting issues, but, um, yeah. Remind me where you were born and when you moved or were you, you were not born in Laurel, Montana. No, no. So I've, I've lived all over. Um, my dad's a pastor. So we, we moved a lot as a kid and I've lived in some really awesome places for hunting. Uh, I was born in Laramie, Wyoming. My family's from Worland, Wyoming, uh, kind of northern, northern Wyoming, the Bighorn Basin. And we moved to Montana when I was 12. Uh, we moved to Hamilton, Montana. And I've lived there. I've lived in Bozeman. I've lived in Great Falls. And, and now we're in Laurel. So I've kind of worked my way east over time. And grew up in a real, a really strong hunting family. My grandpa is a... Uh, really avid hunter to this day. He's he's 82, and we went on a on a mule deer hunt even this year. Can uh, you hike around still? A little bit, a little bit. Um, you know, it's a lot of driving around on road on BLM roads and stuff, and um, we do antelope hunts whenever we can. You know, so more of a 
road friendly type of hunt. But him and my dad have really been my inspiration for hunting. You know, just growing up watching them kill some cool stuff. And um that's your old man still at it too? Oh yeah. Yeah. He uh I drew a really good elk tag this year and he tagged along and really helped me out a lot. Um brought the boat and everything to to help me get to the critters. So oh um did you get one? I did. Well, right. I don't mean I don't want to brag too much about him. Just a just a so so bull, but <laughs> but um good for you. But you know, that was that was really it, it's been really fun like growing up in that family, watching, you know, watching the accomplishments of my of my dad and my grandpa. And then it was my turn, right? And I I hunted a little bit when I was younger, you know, 12, 13, 14. And kind of lost, kind of lost. I moved, I went out of state for college and, and, uh, just didn't hunt a lot. I'd come, I'd come home and hunt every once in a while, but I really, I, so I moved back to Montana in, uh, when I was about late twenties and really got into it. And, and something that's really alluring, I think, to people that are getting back into hunting or getting into hunting is you feel like you need, you need that mentor. And, you know, my dad, and my grandpa have always been my hunting mentors. But I think it's easy to see these like false idols on, <laughs> on social media, you know, these people that are these gurus that already, you know, know what they're doing better than anybody. And I think there is some good stuff on, on, you know, on social media that can help somebody overcome maybe a lull in their hunting or, or, you know, if they're kind of getting into it later in life. Um, but anyway, I, I really gravitated towards that and was just consuming a lot of Gra- gravitate towards that how-to content. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And not even that, but just, you know, you get, you get something out of watching somebody else kill something when you're not having success. It's kind of that like next best thing. Like, well, you know, I'm going to turn on a YouTube video and watch somebody else kill something. Cause I'm still trying to figure my shit out and maybe I can learn something from it. Maybe I can get inspired by it. And I think there's some benefit to it, but I also think it can be really harmful to your own hunting. And, uh, that's, that's, that's been my experience is that when I, when I've gotten away from my fixation on that, my hunting's actually gotten better and I've enjoyed it a lot more because of that. So, yeah. How does stepping away from how to content, how's that made you a better hunter? Well, I, I don't even know if it's the how to content as much as it is like hunting TVs, Instagram for sure, you know, just the feed of everybody killing cool stuff and I'm not killing, uh, you know, anything that measures up. So I, um, I'm a, so professionally, I'm a, I'm a health and wellness coach that specializes in chronic pain. So I, I coach people who have, you know, a lot of injured workers, veterans, people that have just constant ongoing chronic pain. So I work, I work pretty closely with, um, motivation. Um, the people I work with, I think have maybe behaviors that don't align with their values a lot of times. So I've, I've learned a lot about like what motivates us to do something really hard. What motivates us to do the things that, that maybe aren't comfortable yeah and hunters, hunters know that better than anybody right yeah um, oh yeah yeah well except maybe for i don't know 
uh, MMA fighters or mountain climbers. I mean, right. uh, yeah, it's up there. There's a lot of pain involved, at least by my standards. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot of willpower. And I think you have to have something besides, um, it, it has to be a deep motivation in order to go out and deal with the cold, deal with the hunting pressure, deal with, you know, missed shots, wounded animals, all the, the physical exertion that it takes, the mental, you know, anguish. Um, there's a lot to it. So I, like, I see, I see a lot of people and I've been this person where I feel like my, for a while, my motivation was to, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to prove to other people that I was a badass hunter, mm-hmm. but I hope I'm not alone. In that. I think a lot of people experience that where. Yeah. Well, that's one of my, that's one of my concerns, uh, about hunting in America today is that, is that there's some contingent out there that that's the, that's the driving of contingent of people where that's the driving force. Um, I wouldn't care about that if hunting opportunity was limitless, uh, but it obviously is not. And so I, yeah, I'm just trying to see if that's a lot of a lot of what I'm doing is an experiment to see if other people think that that's not a laudable reason to hunt, like notoriety. I'm trying to see, you know, are there other people out there that don't think gaining credibility and as a hunter or as a human being is the motivation that that inspires them to go afield because if there's a lot of us like that then that are doing it for hide horns meat and personal satisfaction and and there's ways to 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 disincentivize people that hunt for fame and ego and money and stuff like that that don't even require passing laws or anything like that it's just a matter of tuning out more of a cultural shift is what yeah, you're talking about. just voluntarily tuning out in the same way that when people in the 90s and early 2000s were trying to protect small businesses they boycotted walmart or whatever didn't work i mean there's still walmarts all over the place hell i'm not i'm not i'm not taking a stance on that even i shop at walmart once in a while but i'm just saying you know the, the, the people can kind of vote with their vote on what they want hunting to be with their billfold i believe and with their with their eyeballs yeah with their attention yeah and you know i I don't think we're i I really don't think we're good at we're not good at quitting things cold turkey and we got to admit that people are just hooked on social media i mean it's a it's a drug it's a drug of choice for a lot of people and so I, I think we're way better at replacing things than we are quitting cold turkey. Mm. And so I like I think about like my upbringing. Who who are my hunting role models? Who did who do I really who should I really care? Um, like who thinks who who should I give importance to as far as like um, my reputation as a hunter? Right. It it, sh- it should be my my grandpa, my dad you know, close family and my hunting buddies, you know, the, the guys that maybe I don't even hunt with them, but I know them. I know they're hunters and I know they appreciate it. Right. So 
I don't know if we're going to get away from we're tribal, you know, we're tribal beings, right? We want to, I, I think status is important to people. I don't know if it's a good thing, but I think it's just how we're wired that we want to be. Um, you know, we want to be respected. We want to be, you know, seen as competent by our peers. The problem is when you put that out into this giant, you know, universe of social media where there's tons of and, and you you've highlighted this that you know we're we're doing it for strangers on the internet we're not doing it for people um whose opinion we should care about we're doing it for you know the masses people. yeah the on yeah just anybody willing to look and yeah. and you know another, another thing i've said a few times i believe on the podcast is that i i share those impulses I I would love I I love like uh, uh the idea of bragging about my hunting accomplishments to as many people as possible. I like the idea of doing that. I just think that that's destroying something that I love. It's helping destroy publicly accessible high quality non-pay hunting so in the same way i'd love to drink a fifth of bush mills every night i'm not doing that because <laughs> it, it's it's it would it's i mean it's just uh there's things that are more important to me than getting highly intoxicated every night and there's things more important to me than drawing attention to myself by um from strangers you know obviously I, I try to say this every time i bring it up that where i draw the line you got to draw the line somewhere and i draw it at yeah show your you know you've you have everybody i think most the vast majority of people have that impulse just check it at the line should be at friends and family and close family in my viewpoint because I, it, I really, it, it gets rid of all it get it, it all it, it 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 that ensures that it doesn't turn into using another thing is it it ensures it doesn't turn it into commodification of wildlife and using dead animals as status symbols and to sell products um doesn't make you a 21st century market hunter um, it sure, it ensures it demonstrates that that's not your motivation. There's people I know that the most accomplished hunters I know are not online. Period. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is so badass. Uh, that the people that are the best don't don't have to don't feel the need or they do feel the need and they check it or whatever i just think it's so badass that some people the, the best hunters are, that i know are like are, are just completely understated about it you almost have to drag it out of them there's a guy in the town in my town mile city where i live a couple guys where i find out that they shot something because they told one of their close friends and their close friends told me that's how i find out you know, I love that. 
I I remember. So I'm that I'm that generation that I'm the last generation that remembers the time before internet. Mm. And then I remember my grandpa. This was like '92. Um, and I was just a little kid. It's one of my, you know, kind of, kind of one of my first memories. I remember we got a call from my grandpa and he shot a really nice bighorn ram that, um, you know, last day of the season. And, um, I remember we waited for, you know, he, he described it in the phone call and was talking about it and everything, but we waited for a few days before we got a picture in the mail. You know, he wanted to, you know, he wanted to, to share that with us just you know a picture through the <laughs> and that was the most yeah. efficient way to get it done yeah. yeah and i remember when that arrived it was just really cool it was like a really personal thing that you know only him and his really close friends even knew about this ram and we had a picture of it that we could you know kind of share in the experience so i think that's like the that's the allure of social media is that it like it connects you to those really intimate moments and especially with hunting where um you know, the, t- taking the life of an animal is like a really, it's a spiritual experience. And yeah. I think we're really, we're really per- perverting the process of, of, ki- you know, of killing and eating an animal when we, you know, when it's, it's porn. I mean, it, it's essentially porn on the internet for other people to, to look at. Um, and I, you know, I almost equate it to, you know, putting, putting pictures of your wife on the internet or something like yeah. that. It's, it's, it's kind of sick. And yeah. I don't, um, I don't know. So I, I, I wrestle with it because I know it's like, it, it is something that's really, it's really gratifying to show off what you kill for the year. And I, I did an experiment this year. Um, cause I, I like, when you started talking about this, um, I, it hit, it hit something that I knew was true already. And I'd kind of been contemplating it for a while and yeah. your, your article and, you know, some of the the podcasts you've done have like pushed me to the, like kind of inspired me to actually take action on it. It was one of those things that was just kind of nagging me that I needed to, to do something different. So I tried it out this year and you tried um, out not consuming or not producing content both okay yeah i i just got off social media from and i don't even know what it was probably july i just deactivated my instagram and my facebook and um and then you know just went hunting i didn't spend a lot of time scrolling through which is a hunt in itself i think people don't realize they're you know social media is set up to hijack your your kind of that primal desire to hunt you're looking for something when you're scrolling through mm social media that's an an interesting thought yeah but you don't you don't actually find what you're looking for it's this never-ending stream of stuff and it really scrambles your brain and i was noticing that on my hunts that i was i wasn't present i was i was distracted and i've heard a lot about and i I recommend people um have you seen the the social dilemma Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Really recommend people watch that because yeah, it, I do too. That's a it, it lays out what social media does to your brain. I mean, it really scrambles your brain, and I think it's a it's incredibly addicting. And I so I I decided to turn that shit off and just go hunting. You know, see what that did for my hunting because I had I'll share an experience. I, I was bear hunting uh, two springs ago, 
And I don't know if, you know, I can't directly correlate this, but I just have a feeling that I was, I wasn't present and I ended up wounding a bear and I missed a bear Mm. one one spring season. And it just ate me up. You know, I'm like, man, I got to work on whatever is causing this. I got to work on it because I can't have that happen again. It was really hard for me to handle that. So I felt like my hunting experience was, was really suffering. I mean, that's what really drove me to do it. I, I, I really challenge hunters to, you know, you try feel like it. your focus level was compromised because of cons- the, the amount of media you were consuming. Yeah. I think it produces almost like for me, this is me personally, I, I can't speak to other people, but I think for me, it produces like a, you know, an ADHD response. Yeah. I think, I think there's I'm, clinical I'm, evidence to support yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It, it reduces focus and, and increases depression. Um, it's almost, that's almost like saying the same thing twice, you know, yeah. because anything that increases, decreases your happiness, decreases your focus. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I have, I, I know it's bad for me and in any way, shape or form, I don't consume hunting social media because I don't, I just don't, well, I think it's, I think it's damaging to hunting access. Uh, There's one reason. Another reason is it, it just doesn't appeal to me. I have other interests, you know, I'm an avid hunter. I'd spend a ridiculous amount of time hunting and fishing, but I do have other interests. So I just don't, it's never appealed to me. Um, I'd rather like try to try to understand, understand, spend my evening trying to understand like a great piece of literature or something, which I often fail at, or just learning about something new, watching documentaries, so yeah okay but but i have tiktok on my phone i've had it on my phone five times and and deleted it four times so if you do the math you can figure out that it's on there right now um and one of the reasons i have it is because i have a friend that likes a lot and he's always sending me videos and but then i find myself in bed in the morning just flipping through those things and i i don't know what it is some of them are kind of funny but i i don't know i feel like i I sense desperation in these people that are generating this stuff a lot of the time like they're just so attention starved I, i don't know if that's it or not but there's something about it maybe it's just the realization that i've just spent 10 or 15 minutes flipping through these just mindless videos after video after video they're so childish that so maybe it's the time wasting component but yeah i i i walk away from i get out of bed and on mornings i do that i feel kind of gross i feel kind of scattered so uh yeah it's i think it's with anything but then when it's something if you're a hunter and and you're incredibly passionate about hunter and the content hunting and the content is directed towards that. It probably even magnifies those effects. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of science behind that. 
And, um, you know, one of my favorite guys, and this is, you know, this is one of my, my guilty pleasures. I like to, I like to learn stuff, um, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think there's just fascinating rabbit holes you can go down that might also useful stuff, like how to change the string in your string trimmer or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the, one of my favorite people to watch on there is Dr. Huberman, Dr. Andrew. Huberman. Oh, I, 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 I listen, I listened to his podcast once in a while. Andrew yeah. Huberman. Yeah. I uh, just re- recently listened to his one where he lays out all the, the downsides of drinking. And that's very hard to take. Cause I'm a man who likes to drink once in a while, once in a while being every night, <laughs> <laughs> multiple times every night. That's, that's what once in a while it's to me, but, uh, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. He, like it, it's, it's interesting listening to him talk about dopamine and how, um, you know, there's this pain, pleasure balance in the brain, like pain and pleasure, uh, occur in the same part of the brain. And what you're talking about with TikTok and a lot of these social media apps is it, um, it creates an imbalance between the pain and the pleasure balance, you know, pain and pleasure ratio in your brain. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's why you feel, you feel kind of scrambled. You feel kind of off when you start your day with something really pleasurable, whatever that is. Um, it, I think it, I just think it, it tips the balance towards, towards pleasure. Okay. And it takes your brain a while to recover that and, and find that homeostasis again. And that's oh. why I think that's why hunting feels so good. There's a shitload of pain followed by, you know, the, hopefully the reward, right? Maybe you don't get the reward, but when you there's find all, it, there's always an, a reward. Often yeah, it's, exactly. it's just getting in your sleeping bag at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I say I with mountain hunting which is most of what I do. The, I say the, the best part of the day is getting in the sleeping bag and the worst part's getting out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's relatable. Uh, but that's the balance of it. You know, I, I think we're, we live, we live in a world of a lot of suffering. I think that's, I think it's, I think suffering is really necessary it, it's a prerequisite to pleasure and something that we're, we got to guard ourselves to in, you know, and hunting and everything else is like that, you know, skipping the hard part and going straight to the pleasure is so easy to do now, mm-hmm. you know, you on your phone and man, there's something pleasurable here. Um, and you don't have to go through the, the suffering. I think that that balance makes it way more rewarding when you finally achieve it when it when you've gone through the tough part yeah so how long have you been tuned out from that stuff now well i'd like to say that i've just stayed on the straight and narrow but uh somebody sent me a video on instagram and it logged you know reactivated my account or whatever when i clicked on it so um i i i use it for work a lot now i've tried to just use it as a tool rather than something that i'm like using for pleasure um, but I don't, I haven't posted anything. I had the best hunting season of my life and I haven't posted anything. And I feel, I feel better than I normally do coming out of a season. Like it, mm. it didn't really change my experience in it. In fact, I, 
it's been fun because I've connected with buddies. Like, you know, it rather than posting it on social media where there's all the shallow, good job, you know, it's all this kind of pat on the back stuff. I, you know, I can hit a buddy up and say, how was your season, man? Like, how was the deer hunting this year? And we can, you know, we can actually connect on a personal level rather than this really shallow, like five seconds that I see his, you know, his buck on Instagram or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think's going on with, so when you're, when you were highly engaged in this stuff, would you comment on posts from hunters that are, that have huge followings ever? Would I post? Um, Did you say, wow, nice, blah, 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 <laughs> campaigns or whatever? Well, if I did, I feel kind of ashamed of that. I'm sure I did. I probably did because, you know, there's that want to, like, I want him to acknowledge me too or maybe follow me back or whatever. Oh. Cool, but, you know? So that's um, a, com you think that's a component of it? I think so. I think so. I think oh. it's. Oh. Yeah. You know, wow, I had never thought about that. So he's a good example. Uh, uh, I, he, I, I was for a while, I was kind of trolling big names and that got that, I, that made me that, that had consequences for my negative consequences for my mental well-being as well so i i've stopped doing that but he he posted something like there he's carrying this deer over his shoulder this fall and something about the journey of a hunt and all the different components of the journey and i said something like the biggest part of the journey for cam haynes is is putting it on the internet for strangers to see or something like that. And within one hour I was blocked. Mm, yeah. I was like, I thought this guy was exercising and shooting his bow all the time. It's made it seem like he's also like, there's maybe less of that and more of trying to manage his image. I don't know. Or maybe he has somebody that does it, but then Jim Durkin, the guy that's been, helping on the podcast he after cam's third or fourth bull this year he posted something like how many elk do you need and he got piled on mm -hmm. i was like how can you guys how can you folks that are defending cam uh be so passionate about this you know we're we're really susceptible to idol worship and i don't mean that in a like in a biblical sense but i yeah I think yeah, I, yeah we're here you know humans are hero worshipers for some reason or another we're just wired that way to look up to the big macho masculine hero and man it's so easy to create this false uh <laughs> like the, the the latest thing right now, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but are you familiar uh, with I'm liver bracing myself. <laughs> you familiar with Liver King on Instagram? Oh yeah. Yeah. That shit is <laughs> I've I've uh I've kind of watched him from afar for 
a while. So yeah, I, I was well aware of his existence before his fall, you know, <laughs> and I think that that is, that's all of these, that's so many of these people. There's yeah. It's just bullshit behind the scenes, right? Yeah. Dude's been steroids for years and years, like shit loads of, not just a little bit, but shit loads of steroids. And I think, you know, I, I wish these guys would be more transparent about what they're actually doing. You know, the Jason, Jason Matzingers and the Cam Haynes and the Joe Rogans, they're, they're hunting, they're hunting these really expensive private ranches. And yeah, and, that's and the thing that the transparency about, right? bit is on the money, man. It's like you are presented with an image with no context whatsoever. You know, I have a couple of lambs in my little pasture here right now <laughs> that friends of mine own. They're going to, they're going to butcher them here pretty quick, but I, I don't, there, so much of the big trophy animals you see on the internet compared to what you and I do to get something. Yeah. It's more like it, it is more close related to go out and going out and shooting one of those lambs like the difference in accomplishment is it's more the, with some of this stuff you see online is more uh, close on the spectrum to yeah uh, a, a slaughtering livestock than it is to actually yeah so that's that's one thing that people hunting and i think that hunting i know that hunting generates a lot of gel is capable of of generating a lot of jealousy you know mm -hmm. and and people look at all that stuff and they're like i didn't even get a spike horn this year or whatever and they're looking at this stuff and and there's no context you know it's so dishonest on its face it's like they'll tell you the score or whatever how about telling us how much you paid Yep. Yep. That would be, that would change the perspective. And I think for, you know, I was, I was, I mentioned how I, like, I really consumed a lot of social media when I got back into hunting and that was on my mind all the time. Like, why can't I kill an elk? Every, every damn person on the planet's killing an elk. And in reality, it's 10% of the, of the population in yeah. Montana that's killing an elk. And, you know, and these guys that are killing these 400 inch bulls are, buying landowner tags or they're leasing out big ranches and you don't even know that there's no way to know that no. by looking at their Instagram. <laughs> no, no, no. And I even had, I had a buddy, um, kind of an acquaintance. Um, so I lived in California for a while and have a big group of fishing buddies. We did a lot of kayak fishing out there. And, uh, one of, one of the guys, um, posted, well, he posted that he was going to Idaho and he was going to, he was going to bow hunt elk. And he said it was in October and I'm like, man, that's kind of later October. And I was like, mm -hmm. man, that's it's weird to bow hunt elk late October. Like, are you, you know, are you just some Billy badass that can go out there and compete with the rifle guys? Cause it was during general, right. You know, oh. season is and he was going to bow hunt. And so he, you know, the hunt comes and goes and he posts a picture of the, you know, small six point that he shot. And there's this big, tall fence behind it. And I commented on his Facebook post that, man, that's a, that's a pretty tall fence behind you there. 
and he just kind of blew it off. He didn't really admit what was going on there. And, and a, another friend of mine um, kind of dug into it a little bit, private messaged him, and he finally admitted it was a it was a high fence outfit. <laughs> and it would have been pretty easy to keep the fence out of the picture, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Like, why would you? Why wouldn't you think of that? But yeah, I mean, he's, he's posting pictures of him stalking in an open country sagebrush, shooting a shooting a bull with a bow during general rifle. And I'm just like, man, there's something you're not telling us here. And you know, people are just, you know, just patting him on the back, like, yeah, great bull, <laughs> man, that's amazing. And it's just, uh, it's like, man, you just shot a, I mean, you shot a tame elk. That's, it's not. You paid a shitload of money to shoot a tame elk so why yeah i just don't understand why anybody would look at that stuff it's, it's such a waste of time it's not true it's just not true and it, it, and it incentivizes doing more of it you know there's some studies out some survey data out now indicates that 85 percent of young people want to be influencers oh that makes me sick and 20% of young people already consider themselves inf- influencers. Yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah. We, we, society's got to make a choice if that's the way they want our young people to be. Like these in- attention-starved adults someday that just need I- to have people clap for their every accomplishment big small or otherwise yeah and i i think it leads to desperation and i have a i have a like an anecdotal story on that from this season um like i said i drew up you know a good elk tag yeah um first day we could hunt you know how the opener was i'm sure you hunted the opener right like um yeah yeah no i did not okay Okay. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people didn't because the weather was just terrible. And um, we didn't I even got, have to I got an elk with my bow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Day day, eight, have, day 18. <laughs> that's a suffer fest. Uh, yeah, it was. I struggled. I struggled. But then this one I ended up getting, it was stupid. He was fighting with his buddy. So I just walked up and shot him. <laughs> Sometimes that that luck, you know, you go through all the suffering for a long time. And finally, you get a little break. Yeah, that's amazing. But that was a vision quest. Oh, yeah. But I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, spending time with my my dog and my and my llamas. And when I got the elk, my wife was with me. So yeah, it was wonderful. I like it. it's weird, man. I, I like it more every year. I like it more every year. I agree. It's yeah. It gets into your soul, man. The more you do it. I guess the reason I like it more in total every year is because I kind of like, I am not this kind of guy, but I traditionally, but I kind of liking more like, liking being out there more. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never been the kind of guy. Oh, just nice to be out here. Bad day of fishing is better than a good day at work. You know, that's never been that's never been my my feelings on that. Like you even now, if I know I'm not gonna get something, I'd rather be at work. You know. 
But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just enjoying it more. I'm just enjoying it more. Probably because I don't have that many more years left. So I'm slowing down and appreciating it. And and I, I feel like it's not something that it's going to be around for forever for our future generations. So I'm more appreciative of it. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I think I kind of interrupted you there. No, no. That's like savoring it. I, I think that's. And that's, that's, that ties in with it, like exactly with what I'm talking, what I'm going to. Yeah. You were going to tell me the story. Yeah. So, you know, Monday was like the first day we could really give her a go, right. There's a little snow on the ground. It was just perfect conditions. And there are a bunch of camps nearby, you know, those, you know, those Eastern Montana roads get when it's been raining and yeah, uh, everything, everything gets congested in the areas you can get to. So right away. My dad and I glassed up some elk just out of camp and uh, started, you know, getting closer to him. And we see we see a bull that's sent checking cows and he goes up and over the ridge. And uh, <clears throat> good. I mean, definitely a shooter bull enough to get us pretty excited. And so we, you know, worked around where we could get in on the herd. And we saw some other hunters, you know, way off that were looking at the elk, too. We ended up getting... Um, under 300 yards, you know, 280 yards from this herd. And we were watching them for a good hour, probably looking for this bigger bull. And there were a bunch of smaller bulls in there. One, you know, kind of medium sized six point, a bunch of five points and stuff, cows and spikes and everything. And, you know, we're just waiting for this, you know, seeing if this bull stands up, if he's somewhere we, you know, we just can't see him where he's at or whatever. And all of a sudden somebody starts lobbing shots. And that, that medium sized six point after the first shot, his jaw was hanging down. He got hit in the face and broke his jaw and his, you know, his jaw is just hanging down. And after a few more shots, they finally knocked him down. And we're like, shit, man, I like, they're going to have a lot of ground shrinkage on that bull. You know, that was, I think we, we knew they were probably looking at that bigger bull. We, we had oh. seen it. Okay. And accidentally shot this bull and we were looking and they're just way, they're way out there. Um, way out of the range. I'd feel comfortable shooting. That's for sure. So anyway, I hunted the rest of the day never found that bull kept, you know, kept hunting for him. But on the way out, I ran into this hunter that was just, you know, packing that, that first load to the, to the road and started talking to him and, and, uh, so yeah, I shot the wrong bull. There was a way bigger bull in there. And I think I hit him too. Um, you know, admitted to basically admitted to shooting at two different bulls. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You have and to know. Like, yeah. 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 And I, I'm like, man, that was, that was quite a poke. Like how far was that? And he's like, oh, 792 yards. Oh my God. And I'm like, man, that's, uh, that's kind of a poke. We should not have to share the woods with people like this. Oh, it really made me sick. He he said to that, he said, that's, that's not that far. I mean, kind of, kind of a poke, I guess. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, like, like he was willing to push you way further than that. Um, and, you know, he's blowing body parts off that he didn't mean to, you know, he's not, not accurate at all. And he told me, he's like, you know, I saw some other hunters that were trying to fuck me over, um, you know, that were creeping in on this bowl. And so, you know, uh, luckily, you know, basically that he was, he was pretty desperate to kill the bull. Yeah. We were right there. I'm like, yeah, that was probably us that were right. We were like 280 yards from that and watched everything. 
Um, so that really, I mean, that really just kind of made me sick and it, you know, I hope he learned a good lesson that, you know, you want to, you got to be able to identify your target. And I think there's so much desperation. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what comes to mind for me is just the, the lost, the lost. And I think that that's, that's a consequence of hunting entertainment and hunting social media that lost. Yeah. At all costs, you got to put that animal, that big animal on the ground. And I, I, I hate that kind of scenario where there's other hunters that are hunting the same animal. Oh, I, like, I have, I have zero did. interest. That was like I, the I first, se- the first several that. days of my hunting this year, bow hunting, I hiked in five miles, set up my camp and then realized there's a, a camp 200 yards from me in a spot. I've oh. never seen a camp before. Then the next morning I get up and go off to hunt and find a bull. And then, and then I see them uh, ahead of me a little bit. I just, I went back to camp and packed up and left that just, it's just not fun to me. So then I go another three miles. Now I'm eight miles back, set up camp again. And again, a quarter within a quarter mile, there's another camp that in a place I'd never seen before. And then, but it was too late in the day to do anything about that. I probably would have moved again if I had time just cause I just can't stand it. And then those, I found some elk that night and those guys, I was getting really close to those elk. And then those, and there's a couple bulls in there and I don't know how big they were or anything, but those guys spooked all those elk. Um, yeah. And then the next day I ran into some people and more people in a place I'd never seen them before. It's just, yeah, I hate that. I hate it. It's just, yeah, especially going after the same elk. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I'd i rather find seclusion where there's very few animals and very few hunters. Yep. And, yep. You know, and see what you get. I mean, it, it, I'd, I'd rather do that than uh, be one of three guys going after a 380-inch bull or something, you know? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I in the over, over time, over the last several years, I've spent started spending more and more time in very remote areas with less and less elk. Yeah. The area I just described is one of my primary hunting locations than it has for over the last dozen years. Um, but like the, like the crowd, like I indicated, the crowd is getting worse and worse. So yeah, I've just been spending more and more time in places that are more remote with way fewer animals. Well, this is the weird thing that, like we, you know, no serious hunter would ever give their coordinates, right? Like no way in hell I could, I could offer you a thousand bucks and you wouldn't offer your coordinates of your favorite hunts. No, right? no. Right. But, but we will promote like hunting in Montana, right. Or, right. or hunt, you know, public yeah. land hunting forever. Like it's a, you know, and well, you and I won't, so but people will. You and I yeah. won't, but other people will. Yeah. yeah. No, I, in my mind, it's the same. It's the, it's even worse. A lot of the people that are that promote hunting the most would never hunt the sorts of places you and I hunt. You know. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It really, it really made me cringe when Joe Rogan said he didn't understand why, why hunters are so protective of their hunting spots. Did you ever, you ever see that clip? <laughs> no, 
No. Oh, it really, it really just made me cringe. He's, he's, perpl- I forget who he's talking to. It was like Remy Warren or he's talking to a hunter and they're, they're saying that, you know, um, somebody ruined their spot or whatever, brought, brought people to a spot they showed them or something. And he couldn't wrap his mind around it. It's like, why, you know, it's public land. Why would anybody care who hunts there? That's because he just never had to experience the consequences yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really glaring that he's not, he's not the same. And I'm, you know, I love, I love fellow hunters. I'm glad that he's a positive voice in a way for hunting, mm-hmm. but it's really, it's really glaring that he doesn't, he doesn't know what it's like to grind it out on public land and to, you know, basically fight over critters with other people, you know, and sometimes. So I heard him say once, I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's yeah. Yeah. An, an incredible human being. I, yeah, he is. I, I despise what he's done to hunting. I, 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 I've had multiple people reach out to me that have, well, one for sure that has leased land. I had a guy on my podcast that leased land because of him. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of I just think he's his memory is amazing and his gift for gab is incredible. Like in he's like an MMA commentator, the best podcaster ever, um, best memory, best um oh oh he's a comedian, you know. I already said memory. Yeah, he's a comedian, good comedian. Yeah, he's it's wild. But yeah. one of the most annoying things I've heard him say about hunting is that he i heard him say on a podcast that nobody can get far enough back to get away from anybody anymore because of cam haynes mm-hmm. and he chuckled I'm like that's not funny to me no no and cam haynes doesn't have to get far back cam haynes sleeps in a hunting lodge you know yeah which i mean and he admits it it's <laughs> not like it's not it's just not what he to his credit he admits it yeah uh that's that's fair but um do you think do you think these kind of people do you think somebody like joe rogan would be would they be more harmful to hunting if they were anti-hunters or if or do you think they're more harmful being pro-hunting that's a good question i'm so fixated on what i take the biggest this has been this has been the di- dichotomy, the the dis- choice that people have had to make for some number of years. I remember arguing with this, b- about this with people seven eight years ago, where against arguing that the biggest threats and challenges are hunting becoming a rich man's sport, and hunting crowding increasing inability of. Uh, the ability to draw tags declining and i'm i'm like those are the big threat i've always aligned myself with those as the threats not the antis and there's and there's a difference in approach because if you think the antis are the biggest threat then you're going to be more inclined to want to bring more hunters on board mm-hmm. yeah like strength in numbers is the is the narrative there yeah and for a long time well, still, the the conventional wisdom is that we also need more 
hunters to fund conservation, which I don't buy because we've got more dollars for conservation forever, more dollars for conservation than ever. And also, you know, I've been amassing this list of peer-reviewed articles that that uh, indicate the effects of hunting pressure on wildlife. And there's pretty good evidence for a lot of things. Birth dates with as hunting pressure increases, birth dates become earlier, movement mm. patterns change, litter sizes change, cortisol levels change. Um, it's just not as clean cut as more hunters means more, more that wildlife have higher reproductive fitness or are better off because the increased dollars offset the effect of pressure. I don't buy it. Nobody can prove it. And how much does that influence the way that, uh, wildlife manage wildlife agencies allocate tax? You know, look, look at the cash cow. Well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say that, but look at, look at Colorado, you know, how many tags they give out. I mean, it's a, it's a zoo from what I've heard. Montana does the same thing where you can hunt, you can hunt elk from August 15 to February 15. Yeah. Places, right. So yeah. how much does that, you know, that, that desire to sell a lot of tags, recruit more hunters. I mean, how much does that influence the way that game agencies set things up? And, and that leads to issues that we see here in Montana where there's too much pressure on the game, right? I mean, mule deer are way knocked down in Montana and the, you know, the, oh, elk yeah, numbers of mule deer are them. terrible here right now. Do you, do you think some of that is due to, well, it's gotta be, I mean, they give out a, like last year they gave out 2021, they gave out a ton of doe tags out here, no. mule deer doe no. tags, um, when, but we, we had such a hard year. I don't know. I don't know. If that we had such a drought, a major drought last summer that I don't know what that the effect of that is. I mean, obviously, yeah, the number of tags that they give out affects the population size. There's no question about that. Um, so yeah, how much of the number of tags they give out is dictated by science versus the need for revenue? That's a really good question that I haven't spent any time really thinking about. And when you, when you look on the hunting forums, especially related to Montana, that's the big concern is, is the resource. Like it's, it seems like the animals are really knocked down right now. And the least mule deer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, and I think more and more, you know, elk are going to private land. There's a, there's a long hunting season on them, right? Yeah. So those are, those are big concerns and how much of that is wrapped up in, well, we have this giant population of people that are willing to buy tags and there's even like a wait list, right? In a lot of, a lot of States, you got to wait, you know, several years to even hunt it as a non-resident. So how much, how much does that influence? You know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify that, but I think that's an issue. Yeah. Well, in some States, a hand, just a handful of years ago, there's been a lot of public outcry about this, I think, but you know, they, they would be higher hunting celebrities to promote areas mm-hmm. like Randy Newberg is somebody yeah. hired to promote some areas. And there was a lot of backlash about that. I'm sure there's some others as well. Uh, so that, that demonstrates the, yeah, that there's, they really are focused on 
to an extent revenue um yeah i i i'm good friends with some game biologists where i live that work for fwp pretty good friends enough to know that what drives their recommendations about tag allocations is based on the resource but you know that there's other people overseeing that and politics can get involved and yeah well and nowadays i i think we've seen a lot of this recently where they're you know politics and uh politics and maybe corporate interests i don't know what the right word is there but i mean they're tied they're tied at the hip right they're they're one in the same right revenue and 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 all of that play a role in a huge role in politics so oh yeah i mean in our state montana the, the our the administration here is very much trying to advantage the landowner in terms of giving them tags that he can sell and everything else under the sun to like kind of privatize wildlife and privatize game and, and and make it so that landowners can generate revenue from it. And it's because that those are close. Those are constituent, their constituent base that they have a lot of the, you know, these egg producers, some of them have a lot of money, some, and uh, that's, those are prime constituents. So, you know, that that plays a role as well. And I think that's where you can get a lot of hunters on board, right? The, the public land hunter doesn't you'd want think, that. You'd think, but I mean, I'm a single issue voter in my state. And if I lived in a, another state, it'd be the same way. I don't know that that's probably a little narrow minded and myopic, but I'm a, I'm a single issue voter when it comes to state politics, because in the one issue is hunting. You know, but uh, I'd say that the our our congressional state congressional delegation, our state politicians from the governor on down, are definitely not the right choice if what you care about is publicly accessible non-pay hunting. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's a mess. I think you have, and, and again, it's like a bastardization of what it should be, right? Uh, hunting, part of the problem we have is that we've used this like, and I, I think capitalism's great for a lot of things, but we've used that model to, you know, kind of keep hunting afloat. Right. I think without some value on the wildlife, like there's not a big incentive to keep them around. And that's, you know, that's the, I think it's, it's, you know, obviously we, you mentioned like market hunting, like obviously it's a way better. What we have right now is a thousand times better alternative um, than that. But I just think when you, when you have dollars attached to animals, and, and this is like, I think this might've been something I, I mentioned to you in an email. I don't know if it made sense because you know how the written word is sometimes like you miss something. Oh yeah. Um, I don't even know if I, if I mentioned this, but I think we like, we're wired to hunt as human beings, right? There's something really. Hey, as you're, you're watching me, like, uh, look at my phone, um, while we're talking, but that's because I want to look up something that's related to our discussion. So 
Just don't yeah, think that good. I'm don't think that I'm checking my stocks or something. <laughs> no worries. Um, but I, I, like, I think we're wired to hunt something and our ancestors hunted wild edibles, right? That was like the main, the main thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, that has went with the, you know, the advent of currency that's changed all that, right? We're not, we're not hunting meat for survival anymore. Like our ancestors used to do. We're hunting the dollar. And we, we, I think our brain kind of equates the same thing. I mean, you see people just working themselves to death for the dollar, almost like they, like our ancestors would have done. Oh, I see what you're saying. Just in general, like when you go to work and things like that, you're hunting a dollar. Yeah. You're hunting the dollar. Yeah. We've, we've, we've shifted to that. And so I think you're seeing this like kind of a confusion almost as to what we're really after when we're after an animal. And nowadays, like a big, you know, a Boone and Crockett animal, people see dollar signs, they see sponsorships, they see notoriety, they see, you know, um, there's a reward there, uh, a monetary reward for it. And I don't know, I I just think it's, it's ruined what hunting really is. I think hunting is about getting in touch with that, like that spiritual connection that we all have to providing for ourselves and coming home with something and, you know, eating it together with the family and all that. And we're, we're hunting the dollar and we're seeing an animal almost as a, as a, as dollar signs. And yeah. And I don't think that one thing that's really sad to me is I think that people that hunt fully or in part for other people, like Mm -hmm. to produce entertainment for other people or primarily because they want to uh show other people that i don't think that those people enjoy it as much so i think that it's negatively impacting the enjoyment that society derives from hunting like if you have some ranch that is in a either they let let's say they used to let people hunt you know people in the community hunt when they banged on the door the butcher or the plumber or whatever, the guy from the hardware store. And now instead of 10 or 12 people that really like it, you have one guy that leases it up and he lives in New York and he comes out and it's just one guy. And I don't think he's deriving the satisfaction from it that 12 people could, especially seeing as how he kind of just, got some got killed kills when he kills something it's because he threw money at it so that's what that's one thing that's really sad about what you're describing also it's i think it's um that 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 uh it makes hunting less um democratic like if you 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 probably read the tenants of the north american model of wildlife management mm-hmm. uh, like the one i was looking up was this hunting fishing and trapping shall be democratic every citizen in good standing regardless of wealth social standing or land ownership is allowed to participate in the harvest of fish and wildlife within legal limits and I think there's just a case to be made that we are stepping away from that in a huge way. 
uh, it gives me goosebumps. That's a beautiful, beautiful statement. Yeah. And everybody in a voice with hunting is, in my view, is, is, is a cause of us deviating from that. I agree. And I, <clears throat> I think a lot of it comes down to motivation. You mentioned the guy from New York that comes and leases up a ranch for one week a year. <clears throat> and I, like I said, I, you know, I work with people on kind of finding motivation to make changes that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the big, like the big thing that I try to help people find is like their vision for life their value system, their strengths, like taking all that into account and then going after that rather than engaging in the behavior that they're currently in. And so <clears throat> I think this, you know, it really relates to what we see in hunting where there's, there's an extrinsic motivation to kill something. So an example of that would be, you know, if I kill this big buck, I'm going to get more followers on Instagram. I'm going to get more famous, more people are going to know who I am. I'm going to get likes or, uh, you know, I'm going to really impress everybody, right? It's, it's something you're doing for someone else. Right. Yeah. So what, like what I've found a lot of value in is that like finding that intrinsic motivation, like why, why do you, why do you enjoy honey? You know, is it, is it the adventure and, and how does that tie to your to your value system or your strengths right so yeah i've a few times i thought i should that'd be a great way to start podcasts with people i don't know episodes with people i don't know is to say why do you hunt so why do you hunt paul i <laughs> love that love that quite i think you should start every podcast with that yeah but i'm seriously um, asking yeah yeah i i hunt i have this just burning desire for adventure I just need, I need adventure, I need wild adventure. And I was telling my, my wife this recently that like, before I got back into hunting, my adventure was like partying with the boys, you know, mm -hmm. going, going to, going down to Mexico and just doing crazy shit. <laughs> um, and I, I think every, I think men especially have this like burning desire for adventure, like seeing what's over the next ridge. Um, I love, I love wild game meat. I've had a lot of uh, digestive issues where I had to just overhaul my diet completely. And wild game was like the foundation of that. It like helped me heal my gut and improve my health and clear my brain. I mean, all, I had all kinds of, of symptoms before I cleaned up my diet and started eating mostly wild game. So that's like health, adventure. Um. I think it just satisfies like that self-sufficiency, like feeling like I can take care of myself. I can, and, and, you know, a lot of it is, I think it's like, I don't know if I want to say like compassion. Like I don't, I don't want to contribute. Not that I have a problem with people doing this if they buy meat at a store, but I don't, I don't want to contribute to kind of the enslavement of, of, uh, of livestock you know, factory farming and all that is kind of, kind of repulsive to me. I know we got to, you know, I don't know what else we do to feed millions of people. Yeah. I'm fully supportive of livestock agriculture. Yeah. I, I, I think it needs to be as humane as possible. And there's a lot of sweeping changes that 
need to take place for it to be as humane as possible. We absolutely need it. But I, like you, I don't know. I think that if I didn't hunt, I would probably be a vegetarian because I do have the, the humanitarian concerns that that you have. Although, like I say, I am fully on board with using livestock to feed the planet. You know? Yeah, I am too. And I, I think, you know, what we see here in Montana is the ideal. You know, all these cattle that are grass-fed, grazing on on good open open land and everything. Um, Although, you know, these are largely cow-calf operations and those calves go into the production chain. Like they end up in feedlots in Nebraska and Kansas, et cetera. But uh, yeah, yeah, but the cows are living the life of Ryan for sure. Um, uh, You know, you covered all of mine, all my motivations, except there might be arguably... Two, there's there's one one that could be broken into two subheadings in the the main heading is curiosity mm. and it manifests in two ways one is i wonder what would happen if i tried x and the other one is i love going into some place that i haven't been for a year and it's a bitch to get in there and i'm like i wonder if there's going to be some in there this year mm. Yeah. And I also enjoy scouting. Like when I find someplace that I'm excited enough about to return to, that's a thrill to me. So I get, you know, just the, I guess that's all kind of curiosity. I wonder what this spot's like. Yeah. And then not knowing what's there until you show up and do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. I, my parents, I don't, I don't remember this, but my parents told, tell me that when I was a little kid, when I was first learning how to talk, um, I'd point at any little puddle we drive past or whatever. I'd point at it and say fish in there. Big one. (laughs) And I'm just, yeah, I'm just wired for that. Like, I want to know what's in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, really exciting about that. Uh, do you have anything you want to impart right now? Cause if not, I got I wrote a few things down in reviewing our emails. Uh, no, no, go ahead, Matt. So I don't know if you want to say anything about this at all and you don't have to, but I'm always, my, the analogy I've been using is that I get, we all get a little tiny peephole into hunting media itsy bitsy little pinprick of light and through that pinhole we see so much bs like all the hunting tv personalities that have been arrested Mm -hmm. i'm sure you heard about the bomar thing Mm -hmm. Um, uh and you have a story. I don't know if you want to tell it. Because the reason is, like I say, I just any opportunity to make the hole a little bigger. Yeah. I think is good. Yeah. And I'm a little wary of like calling out. I mean, you could, I, if there's a way to do it without. Sure. I, it's uh, up to you. We just yeah, skip yeah, over no, I, it. Oh, I would love to share a little of that because I think it does shed a light on on the problem 
um, kind of the greed behind it. I think there's just so much greed that we don't, we don't see it in an, in an Instagram post, but it's there. So my experience, I, I, um, through a friend, I met a guy who, um, was doing some guiding for some hunting celebrities without a license. Um, and, um, you know, he, he told, he told me a lot of stories about it. Like, you know, all the, you know, the, uh, these individuals, uh, pretty notorious trespassers, right? So we'll, we'll see elk, um, on private land and they'll say, Hey, turn the camera off. Let's, let's, you know, sneak in here. Um, so that's just a, you know, just a, some, some of the stories he would tell me mm-hmm. later on, he ended up, um, getting busted for one. I think it was wanton waste. He, he shot a bull way back in somewhere, big giant trophy bull, Boone and Crockett bull that he claimed had an infected, uh, hind quarter from an arrow. There was like an arrow in it and the meat, all the meat was bad supposedly. So he just packed the head out and got caught doing that. That's his story. I don't know what the real story is, but um, got caught doing that. And I actually ended up uh, at a game warden visit my house to ask me some questions about that. Oh, um, and he ended up getting in trouble. Though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I never had to actually testify in court. They must have come to some kind of plea deal. Plea and deal. I'm, yeah. I hope I'm not breaking the this has been years it's been like three years ago so i think i'm okay to mention i'm not mentioning names or anything but yeah um, but no, i think I there's think a, i think you're fine but i think there's a lot of that that goes on oh yeah but that wasn't even the one you were telling me about refresh my memory on that it had to do with waterfowl oh okay okay yeah yeah i went on a turkey hunt with um <clears throat> Really well-known, tons of followers on Instagram, uh, works for a, an apparel company, and uh, and this individual who ended up getting in trouble for wanton waste um, went on a turkey hunt with oh, him. Oh, okay. The wanton waste guy's there and the and the yeah, waterfowl guy there is there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, um, and it was just, you know, it was real fake. It was, you know, this, this guy that I knew, the wanton waste guy brought sheds um for the photo shoot right so um so when we were you what were you hunting for we were hunting turkeys oh right? yeah you said oh so he had it be like hey look at the sheds i found while we were it's part of the photo shoes well we found sheds and we killed some turkeys we didn't find sheds those were sheds he had found weeks prior <laughs> and brought for the photo shoot <laughs> Um, oh my God. So it was just, it's just a lot of BS, man. And I, I, there's probably more to it than that, but it's, it's not real, man. Like that's, that's what people need to realize is it's, you're seeing the glory shot that has been rehearsed. It's almost like wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, it's not real. And yeah. any more, any more you want to impart or reveal yeah. from that trip? Cause there was more in your email. That wasn't in your email. Uh, refresh that, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of drawing a blank as to like what else, but. Um, well, thanks for sharing a little of the juice. We don't sure, have, we don't sure. Have labor on it, but. <laughs> um, another thing you said that 
as somebody that is pretty steeped in hunting media, you know, like you used to consume a lot of it, like you got this sense, you get the sense that a lot of times hunting personalities seem stressed out when they're hunting on camera. Yeah. Just facial yeah. expressions or. I, I, I've seen a lot of urgency, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're, you know, last day of the hunt. I know how I feel like this elk hunt that I had, like there's a lot of pressure. It's the best tag I've ever had in my life. Right. There's a lot of pressure just, just from my own individual standpoint to get it done. Right. I can't imagine what it's like to have an audience of millions or hundreds of thousands that are expecting you to kill, kill something impressive not just to kill something, but like to up and do, do better than you did the last time. You know, some of these guys have killed some incredible critters. So there's a le- you think there's a level of anxiety that is in excess of what you would feel if you, if your opportunity was, you were running out of time with a sweet tag or something like that. I think so. I think so. Because you're not, this, this goes back to motivation. Like what is their motivation for hunting? Like it's gotta be, when, when all of your, or most of your, your motivation is extrinsic of, I got to produce some cool content that people want to watch. I got to punch the tags. We got the kill shot in there. Oh, I have to, yeah. I have yeah. to, you know, tell the whole story of the hunt and, and every little thought that's in my mind. I feel like I got to share with this damn camera that's right here. It's yeah, all how could it not come through? For someone else. Yeah. How could but, it not? Yeah. How could it not? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. How much, how much of that is really intrinsic? motivation how much is just production you know yeah pretty sad i i feel bad i feel like people that are doing that are are robbing themselves of the experience and i bet if you asked them i bet 95 percent of them would say they'd rather hunt without a camera oh i guarantee it i gear i've done a little bit of it and it isn't hunting it's not it's so diff it's it's just so unrecognizable to real hunting like the, the freedom, you know, if you got a cameraman behind you making you redo stuff and, and, uh, move and like go in particular directions so we can get the shot. It's like, <laughs> it's just not hunting. It's not Did hunting when you're, hunts? you're being, you're hunts? being manipulated to do like you're, your movement patterns, your decisions are all being manipulated so that somebody can get the footage. Did they have you redo stuff? When oh, you were yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. All the time. Yeah. Uh, um, another thing that you wonder about is the trend of people paying to make them a, a better hunter. Yeah. Like all these people, like elk fit guy, and uh, I think Randy Newberg's doing some kind of how to now, and and uh, how to class or something like that. The Eastmans have a have cl- courses. Um, I know I'm forgetting some, but what are your thoughts on all that and all this, like? instruction that you pay for that people pay for yeah that's a that's a really interesting thing and i've 
I've thought about it. I don't think a lot of this stuff existed when I was getting back into hunting. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to like put myself in the shoes of somebody that wants to level up in their hunting. Well, what does it take to level up in hunting? I think you got to get out there and do it. <laughs> I, like, I completely it. agree. I've taken in so little content. I, and I don't think that that's my limitation is that I haven't digested enough of these people's content. Like I did. You, yeah, you get the basics down. I think that you could be, you could just go to the, your local sporting goods store, get your equipment needs met, maybe read a book or two. And from there, it's figuring it out on your own. It's like spending time. For, it's going to be, here's one thing. There's two things. One is every situation, every area you hunt is different. So there's very strong yep. limits on how, how to content from somewhere else is going to help you. No, I've had it messed me up before. I've had it. I've, I've blown. I've blown a perfect opportunity because so and so elk guru said, "When they do this, you do this," and that's not how it works. You got to be in the moment and just connect with the animal behavior in the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the other one is, I think figuring out the stuff is part of the fun. Yep. Yep. I agree beyond some basic level where I, you know, you got to know how to process an animal or whatever, and probably a good idea to have someone, whether it be on the video or in person, show you how to blow on a cow call a little bit, stuff like that, you know, but just to have somebody walk you through with some of these classes is like exercise for elk hunting, draw strategies for elk hunting. It, hunting tactics the shooting you know just like yeah i, I oh. have zero interest in becoming a better hunter through all like through some guru like that well here's it's just not necessary i get so sick about hearing the barriers to entry the well, barriers, here's the, yeah go ahead here, here's the issue on that like everybody's everybody's scrounging scrounging their pennies up right to 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 get their hunts in right mm -hmm. i mean a lot of my my year goes into planning and like budgeting for hunting how you look at you look at the cost of some of these courses to get into elk you know to get into shape for hunting to learn how to e-scout all this stuff you can spend thousands of dollars i mean a lot of these courses are a thousand dollars that's that's an out-of-state elk tag. That's a yeah. couple out-of-state mule deer tags. Yeah. You can go, you can go actually hunt and maybe, you know, maybe kill something, maybe not. And do what you love to, you know, if you really love to hunt, you can do it for that, that dollar amount. Or you can pay somebody to tell you how to hunt in a boot camp where you don't get, you don't get a critter at the end of it. Yeah. You still got to pay for that on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I shouldn't, yeah, there's a threat of harshing on that too, too much. I mean, like hunting out West, a lot of these courses are focused on teaching people how, how to hunt out West. And it isn't, I'm sure it's intimidating. It was intimidating to me when I moved here from Michigan. Yeah. 
I remember spending the, the entire winter, like just memorizing the <laughs> the regs, you know, and reading one or two old elk books. So I, I get that impulse, you know, but I don't know. Part of it that re- I just like, I, there's something that's you miss when you don't focus on figuring it out yourself. I guess another part of it is I'm just not a club guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with I'm just, you. I'm just kind of more of an individualistic kind of figure it out myself. I just don't like. I'm not a clubby person. So that, well, and, and hunting is about it, it's it's about rugged individualism when it comes down yeah, to it. Yeah, for me at least, I know you know a lot of guys like hunting in big groups and stuff, and I I prefer to hunt by myself and to like struggle through it than to I don't know. Maybe it's just my pride. I don't like asking for help on stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'll out an animal by myself rather than, you know, then call somebody up. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh I, man. I, I don't want to ruin somebody I, else's I've mind. phoned a friend a few times. <laughs> Maybe I haven't shot something far enough away from the truck to do that yet. This guy that I hang out with quite a bit, he, he called me up a couple weeks ago and he had shot an elk 18 miles back oh, and grief. he drove to my house, like four hour drive and packed up. I showed, I gave him a crash course in llama packing and he took four of my llamas back there and went and got, got his elk. That was, and it was super fun because he had cell phone coverage the whole way. So he could uh, text me when he was having problems and I could track his progress and stuff like that. It was really cool. That is cool. Huh? So if you ever, uh, can swallow your pride, if you ever get in trouble and you can swallow your pride, Paul, you can definitely (laughs) borrow my llamas. I appreciate it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go in 12 miles now that I know that. (laughs) There you go. There you go. If you're going to bail me out, I'll, I'll do that. (laughs) <laughs> hey, since I were in the same state, I can't, I, I want to mention this to you and I'm mentioning it more broadly. I'm, I've been talking a little bit about this group on the podcast, this group that has been meeting here in Mile City, where I live, that is concerned about hunting access. And we've actually kind of come up with a name now. We're calling ourselves Montana Hunters for Access. and we have a couple things going we're going to swag the hell out of the upcoming block management appreciation nights they have one here in miles city they have another one in glendive they have them throughout the state where ranchers come in that are enrolled and they give them a nice dinner and and give away a bunch of door prizes and stuff like that so we're going to be giving away some stuff some calf shelters and um pneumatic post pounder i think but also another thing we're doing is we're going to start getting people to sign up to do work projects so if you i don't know if you ever hunt out here but we're going to be trying to get folks that hunt block management in eastern montana to consider coming out for a weekend some weekend in the summer and putting clips on fences or working on a stack yard or what have you, whatever, clearing out pivots, plug pivot nozzles or 
you know, any number of things. I'm there. I'm there. Sign me up. Send me some oh. info. I'd love to do it. Okay. Yeah. We're just, we're just starting to finally get, get some of the kinks worked out of it. We're trying to figure out how to advertise it and get people signed up, you know, but, um, well, let me know how I can help. I'm, I'm all about that kind of stuff. I love okay, that. Great. Great. I, I think I've done a few work projects on branches over the last few years, the level of appreciation just that they have, like it's the ranchers that we, the ranches that we've done this stuff on, like they are so touched that some, that people uh, would come out and help out and just say, thanks for letting us hunt. And in a lot of time, like a lot of the people that I've done these projects with, with had never hunted these ranches before and haven't hunted them since. It's not about that. It's about saying thanks, whether it's a place you hunt or not, just thanks on behalf of my fellow hunters. Thank you. You know, and I think that it could be powerful. I think that could be a powerful incentive for land large landowners to maybe it, the work is the labor. Sure. That's helpful. A little bit of help with something. Yeah, that's great. But I think more than that, it's just demonstrating appreciation. I think we got, if we're going to fight against land trust, if we're going to fight against people that are trying to lease up everything under the sun and gobble up access for themselves and outfitting, going crazy and taking all of our, taking all of our opportunity. That's, we're going to have to step it up in that regard. You know, even when I hunt block management, I still give the people gift a gift. Mm. That's know. a good practice. Cause it, it yeah. you, I mean, a lot of your, your previous podcasts have talked about how easy it is to lose that. It's hanging by a thread. A lot of times, um, all it takes is one dumbass. And in mm-hmm. fact, I, you know, this year I witnessed something that really ticked me off a guy, <clears throat> Uh, was driving somewhere he wasn't supposed to be going after something and boom, 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 killed something. And I pretty sure I saw a ranch truck driving up there to confront that issue. Mm, mm, yeah. And it, it's, I hope we don't get that VMA taken away. I mean, it, Oh man, that's the kind of thing. That yeah. Is, yeah. And I almost thought about stopping at the ranch house and just, you know, saying, Hey, I'm, you know, hope, you know, we're not all like that, Yeah. Um, you know, and hope, you know, I appreciate what you guys do. And I, I probably should have done that. Honestly, it's, it goes a long way. Yeah. It's hard to do stuff like that. And it's, it's it tends to be something you think of in retrospect, but yeah, yeah, there's gotta be a mind, a different mindset. There's gotta be, it's gotta be, we gotta get, we've gotta do better with, with landowners, you know? Or it's yeah. gonna, or it's just going to become a pay-to-play thing. It's a it's an amazing connection. I I um when I was out bow hunting this year, I met. Um, she works as a as a tech for the BMA, and she also owns one of these these BMA ranches. Oh, huh. And, so she's yeah. the access tech for the ranch that she right. owns, in addition to some other ones. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I, um, I shot my first animal with a bow on her bma and she was super we, we talked for like 30 minutes just really nice nice lady that um you know i was i was just super grateful i mean it's really a, an amazing thing that 
they share that with, with everybody, you know, anybody can go in there and, <clears throat> and get after it. And, and imagine, imagine what hunting would be like in Montana without BMAs. No. Well, and it, yeah. And we don't, you know, I, we, we, I, we have an episode coming up where we interviewed Jason cool. He's the head of block management for the whole state. And he's concerned, man. He's concerned about changes in ownership, um, leasing, land trust, all that stuff. He's the, if I think their figure was at, at its peak block management had 7 million acres and it's down to six, something like just North of six. Well, and my question would be as, as, million uh, there's more of a value on animals you know is that as that trends up you know how how long before it's not you know it's it's more worthwhile to you know lease out the ranch rather than than enrolling in bma i mean it can't be that that much of a difference i know oh, you've got yeah. before plus there's fringe benefits you don't have to put up mm -hmm. with you, you when when somebody does something stupid there's one guy you gotta go to yeah yeah um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it's gonna take, but that's that's our stab at it at trying to keep places open. Yeah. Well, anything else? No, I don't think so. I, I really, you know, to anybody listening, I really encourage you to try, you know, just try taking a break from social media during hunting season. It's it's profound and um yeah, I think I think we all got to analyze like why we're hunting. You know, it's it's important to know what your value system is and why you're going after it. And I think it makes it more enjoyable when you can connect to that that bigger picture of like what does this really mean to me versus kind of the shallow bullshit that that it's that's easy to get sucked into. So, well, thank you, Paul. I'm obviously on board with all of that. All right, well, let's stay in touch. Sounds good, Matt. Good talking to you.